As Eric mentioned earlier, Tobin continues his uh, series right now on gospel and work. And as he's been preparing for this, he's been asking for some feedback from us as a family. What does that mean to us? And we've gotten several letters about that. And so this morning, we just want to share a couple of excerpts from those letters. This first one reads, Dear Tobin, thanks for talking about this topic. I always, I always feel like it's something, as a Christian, I should be dealing with. But I tend to get so busy just performing at work that I really have no time to get involved in an office outreach or a Bible study or a mission trip. What should I do? Dear Tobin, my struggle is this. If I do what I really want to do or feel a passion to do, then there is no way I can live the lifestyle that I live now in Hong Kong. In fact, it could mean that I give up some things and actually move away from Hong Kong. Am I being selfish? Dear Pastor, I actually feel very discouraged by what I do in my job. I feel like my job has very little redeeming value in society and that instead of trying to make society a better place to live in for the many, I'm actually taking resources away from the many who could use them and giving them to a minority that already has more than they could ever use in this lifetime. Help me see how to redeem my job and my life. Dear Pastor Tobin, my job and profession seem so broken that I actually do not know where to begin as one person trying to make it all right. It used to be that people entered my profession because they were idealists and wanted to help people and make life and society better. Now, it seems like the main reason people enter my field is to make money. Then if it happens to also help people and make life better, it's purely by happenstance. How can one person fight for change in the midst of the craziness? Thanks for any thoughts that you might have. From God's word, we find this passage in Genesis 2 and 3, which you will find in your bulletin. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely won't die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. How you guys doing? How is everybody doing this beautiful day? <laughs> good, good, good. Wow. Well, we are uh, continuing a sermon series on the gospel and how that impacts our work. What does it look like for us to be followers of Christ in the workplace or wherever God has us go? My fear is sometimes as you hear us up here talking that you'll find out a lot about us and you'll find out all our quirks and all these things and you'll, you know, it's just interesting as you come up and present things and just trying to figure out what are people thinking as we do this and how they're responding to this. And we've said before that we have no illusion that just after one talk you'll say, oh yeah, I totally agree with all that. And so we've been basically just kind of putting out some thoughts and ideas uh, about work and what does it look like for us to deal with that. I uh, am a sixth-generation German uh, farmers, so always when we get to passages about the farming, it's something that kind of I pick up and go, wow, I can understand that. I can relate to that. My dad is 100% German, I think, uh, five or six generations here in America. My mom is Norwegian, Scandinavian, and American Indian, so we have all the minorities and all the free schooling captured there. And I, we grew up on a ranch, uh, especially in the summers. My family has a ranch in Montana, and we'll hopefully go see that in two weeks and hang out with our kiddos there. And I learned a lot about uh, farming and, and ranching in my summers in Montana and hanging out with my grandparents. I learned a lot about plants and how they grow. There's a thing called uh, plant competition. There's certain plants that come in, and if they're introduced into your granary or your harvest or your field, they compete with the good crops and they take away things that are needed for those crops like moisture and nutrients and space and root space. And I learned a lot about weeds and I learned a lot, a lot about thistles and I learned a lot about thorns. One day it came time to mow the yard. My dad said, hey, let's go out and mow the yard. And so I was put in charge of that and they were going to go to town to buy some supplies. And he took me out and he walked me around the yard. And as he walked around the yard, he showed me these little patches of dandelions. I don't know if you ever know what a dandelion, have you ever seen those? They're, they're a little beautiful yellow flower that kind of sprouts up in your yard and they look really cool. There might be things that your kids would collect and give to mom as a present. But what happens to a dandelion after it is fertilized is that it kind of, it looks like it dies, it kind of closes up. And then in a little time, it opens up, and it's this white flower. But it's not really a flower. It's full of all these seeds. 
And these seeds spread everywhere. And so the dandelion is a, is a weed. It's a bad pet plant. It's a competitive plant for the, the, all the things that you would uh, harvest, like wheat and barley and rye and things like that. And so as we're mowing the yard, my dad said, okay, I want you to come out and mow the yard. But before you mow the yard, you've got to pull these, these weeds up. Because if you don't pull them up, if you mow over them, it's going to be a bad, deal, bad idea, a bad thing. And then he left. And as any 10-year-old boy did, you know, I walked out there and I bent down and I pulled the first weed up and the tap roots are like that long, right? And I, I was like, man, this is going to take forever and I got to mow the yard. I, I got to get done before they come back. So I just ignored my dad's instructions. And I figured, well, if I just run across it quick enough with a lawnmower, it will just chop up everything. And I don't have to worry about the seeds or anything like that. And so that's what I did. I took out there and I ran through the yard and I was trying to suck up the dandelions and everything and making sure that nothing got on the grass. And at the end, I go, well, that's just really good. I finished the job. My parents came home. Great job. You did a great job. You mowed the yard. Great thing. About four days later, my dad and I are sitting at the kitchen table and we're looking out into the yard and there's hundreds of little flowers budding up all over the grass. And my dad looks at me and he goes, did you pull up those dandelions before you mowed the yard? Well, he knew the answer to that, right? The answer was no. (laughs) And because of that, the weeds grew up and they took over everything. And my job the next time became harder and harder. And this passage is about weeds in our life. Last week, we talked about what the gospel means in our work. And we said that when we come to our workplace, that our ultimate boss is God. He's the one that we work for. He's the one that we're to please. He's the one that we're to work hard about. And he's the one that we're to trust for our future. As we got in, all these emails and people asking these questions, it seemed as I looked at them and we prayed about them, that they seemed to have these same common themes. The themes were brokenness. The things were frustration with their work. The things were things aren't as they should be. The themes were what really is work as a Christian? How do I approach it? The things were that things are not perfect in my work life, in my world. The themes continually were of brokenness, in chaos, in weeds, in thorns, in thistles. So I wanted to look at this passage because this passage today takes us back to the very beginning because I think that as we talk about the gospel in our workplace, we need to continually redefine terms and ideas and what does it mean and how does it all begin. And we need to think about what does it look like in the very beginning. If you look in your bulletin, you see the story of Genesis. And in the story, you see that God created everything, and then it was good, and God was actually working in the Bible. At the very beginning, we're told that God works, that work is a good thing, that God is working, and he works, and he hands over the work to you and me. He puts us in a garden, and he says, I want you to take everything that I've left there, and I want you to to build it. I want you to fix it. I want you to tweak it. I want you to make something useful and good for society out of it. And he gives a man and a woman one thing. He says, but all these things, I don't want you to do this one thing. I don't want you to eat out of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know the story, right? Because it's in there, and you've heard it a billion, gazillion times. They do that. They they, they think that, well, you know, 
I know God said don't do this, but I, I know better than that. I can do these things. I, I, I'm just as smart as God. I've been around for a long time. I can get these things done. And so instead of picking up the dandelions before they mow the yard, they act as God, and they go and they eat the fruit. And you know what happens because chaos ensues. Things start to break because of their choices. And this place called Eden, which used to mean pleasure and goodness and providing, this place of our work, this place where we live, all of a sudden became a curse. And it became broken. And it wasn't as God meant for it to originally be. And so we see that these thorns in verse 18 come out and these thistles grow and they take over and they compete and they compete with our lives and they compete with everything that's going on. And in the thorns and thistles in Hebrew, actually the idea is this, this strong idea of hardship. That where the ground used to be good, now it's going to be hardship. Now it's going to be disappointment. Now you're going to go to work and you're going to feel frustrated because there's so many things you want to do and you wish you could do. And if you only had the right resources, you could do it. Or if you got all the right resources in place and all of a sudden the right people move right before that big project and you get frustrated and you're not in the position that you want to be because if you were in the best position, you could really help the company, but your boss just doesn't seem to understand that. And instead of pleasure and happiness, you feel frustration and, and pain and toil and work and setbacks in hardships. And it doesn't just happen with creation. The Bible says the same thing happens in our mind and how we look at things around us. We see brokenness. We see things that don't work the way they should be. We don't understand work anymore. We have different words for work. Work isn't valuable anymore. It's not anything good. All we can think about sometimes is just it's a necessary evil. And if I can get it done with, then I can do the things that I really want to do. I mean, we all play those games, don't we, kind of? I mean, we create new terminology, right? We have the sacred, and we have the secular. We have the weak, and then we have our weekend. Some of us, if you're like me, like Eric said, we divide our lives into sections, the first half of my section is for success. I want to make power and money and position. I want to provide for my family. I want to be secure. But then in the second half of my life, I want significance. I want to do something with eternal meaning. I want to do something that's transcendent. I want to do something that's spiritual. I want to do something that is considered ministry. And I got to come to you right now and apologize to you guys because I feel like the church has done a terrible job talking about these things. I mean, the reason we have this confusion, I think, sometimes is because pastors in the church don't understand it. They don't want to stand up. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hurt people's feelings. But it shouldn't be like that. We shouldn't be thinking this is the secular and this is the sacred, this is necessary, but this is best. But the scripture says that it is all to God's honor, it's all to God's glory. Sometimes I talk to people in Hong Kong, business people, and they say things like this to me. You know, sometimes I just feel like a bank. 
that Christians and Christian groups come to from around the world and they just ask for money. And so all I am is a bank and I feed people and I do funds and that's all I do. That's what I'm good for. That's my work. One day I can retire and I'll stop being a bank and then I can go ask people for money also. But sometimes I just feel like a bank. Some people have a hard time understanding ministry in their workplace. What if I asked you the question, we're having coffee this week, and I said, so tell me about your ministry in your workplace. How is God using you? How would you answer that? What if I asked you the question, how do you see your workplace in relationship to church? Do the two work together? Or is the workplace just something you do during the week and church is just something you do on the weekend and they, they hardly ever, ever collide? In the 10 years that I've been in Hong Kong so far and listening to people in the business world, I've heard comments like this. I can't wait to go into ministry, but then I can do something significant. You know, I feel guilty. I feel guilty because I'm working in the secular and I know that the sacred is the most important thing, and I'm not doing much ministry in my work, and I feel really guilty. I can't wait to retire, and then I can do something significant with my ministry, with my gifts and my talents. My only hope is if I can just live long enough that someday I can get to a point where I can leave all of these things behind, and I can do something eternal and significant. I don't know if you've ever heard people say that. I don't know if you've ever said that, but I have, and I'm in the ministry, whatever that means. The passage says that because of choices that our parents made, because of open disobedience, because they thought they could be God better than God could be God in their life, sin came into their life, and thorns and thistles grew up everywhere, and for the rest of our lives, we're going to struggle with this, and many of us are going to have a hard time understanding the difference between the intrinsic goodness of work and the extrinsic goodness of work. Most of us get the extrinsic. I work, and it provides me food. It provides me education. It provides me housing. It provides me money to give the missions trips. It provides me all these things. Most of us get those things, but very few of us understand the intrinsic value of work. And the intrinsic value of work is this, that God made you to work whatever you do. And as you're a doctor, and as you're a lawyer, and as you're a teacher, and as you're a pastor, and as you're a mom, and as you're a helper, and as you're a politician, all of those things, according to God's word, have ultimate value in worth. The problem is we start to think of things as sacred and secular, and those two words bifurcate all of our life. And what does that mean? You come into church today, and you're in the sacred, and all of a sudden somebody hurts your feelings. Maybe they ignore you. Maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe they're just upset. And you look at them and you go, how can a church person do that? This is the sacred. We're never supposed to act that way. But then you go to your workplace and you expect everybody to do that because they're all jerks. 
But the passage says, no. The passage says that we're all broken. If you expect me as your pastor to be perfect, you're going to be incredibly disappointed really quickly. If you expect your community group or the people in your group to be perfect, you're going to be incredibly disappointed right away. And all of this comes back from the garden. All these thoughts, all of these programs come back from the brokenness, the thorns, and the thistles. And if you think anything else but that your work and what you're doing has ultimate intrinsic value, you're lost in the weeds. Does that make sense? It's taken me a long time to get my head around that. I'm still getting my head around that. I, I still make mistakes. I still say things like, I can't wait to do ministry. I still like, I can't wait to go on a mission trip. But the Bible says our mission trip is everywhere. The ministry and mission and work and calling, all those are the same thing. And if we don't see it like that, we'll never experience the joy that God created you to have in your workplace. In this sermon series, I've asked people to come up and share some of their stories, and so I've asked Ian to come up and share with him. So Ian is on the hot, spar- hot chair today, and, and Ian, um, come on in, Ian, you have to come up. Ian has been serving, and, and he and his wife, Shireen, have been serving uh, in the church and, and, and other things in their life, and so he's usually on the back of the soundboard, and Shireen is helping with the kids, and I promise not to uh, beat him up too much. Uh, we had Bernard up here last week, and so, uh, so Ian, I just wanted you, uh, we gave some questions or some thoughts, some ideas that go on, and then I'm going to ask you two or three incredibly hard and difficult personal questions that okay. you don't know about, okay? Right. Okay. So, uh, but the first question we just talked about was just share a little bit about, you know, where you're coming from on this journey of work and what has God been teaching you, maybe a little bit about your history. Um, right. I am Ian. Um, I've been in uh, Watermark since it started, practically. And uh, I was uh, born in the UK, grew up in Hong Kong, spent a lot of time in the UK. I was a medical doctor for about um, 14 years. And then um, I have a wonderful wife, Shireen, over there. (laughs) And uh, she's a corporate lawyer. She she used to be a corporate lawyer. And... um, and a while back, we, we were blessed by God, and we were very privileged to be able to um, stop doing our profession, professional work, and started our own investment company, and, um, and here we are. Okay, good. I told uh, Suzanne is here today. Suzanne is supposed to deliver her baby and so she's here in church. And so I told her up here that if, if she starts it happening right now, it's okay because Ian is OBGYN. <laughs> and I worked two years in a trauma unit, so we got it made. And, and Katie's a nurse. So we got all the things here. So, uh, so I thought, what a great day. We have Ian up here just in case she goes into delivery. And it'll be a church service you'll never forget, right? <laughs> You'll just hear, boil water, get clean cloths, right? Or things like that. Uh, so, so I thought, uh, Ian, uh, all, all joking aside, but it is, it is joking. Um, can you just share a little bit about as you, you know, as a doctor in London, what, what are some of the things that were uh, tensions for you? And the question we talked about was just, you know, what do you feel like as when you experience the thorns and thistles in the medical field? What were some of those things that you, you had to deal with? Okay. Um, when I first 
graduated, I was very naive. I thought that being a doctor clearly doesn't really have any kind of moral conflict as such compared to some other jobs because you're only there to help people who are ill and um, they trust you because they're your patients and they don't know anything about their condition. And <laughs> it's, a, it's one of the most one-sided in terms of information regarding uh, a job is concerned, maybe with the exception of, of eye banking, I think. <laughs> um, yes. So um, I, I didn't think that I would have to deal with too many moral issues or conflict. I, I was already a Christian. I was uh, very happy going to work. And I think that uh, my, my first real challenge come after I finished being a health officer. So that will be for Americans out there, there will be intern. Um, so that was, that was a great in the UK between internship and, and residency. So I started my first job in, in gynecology. And in the first week, I got given my timetable, and there was, um, in it, there was a TOP surgical list, and I didn't really know what that means. So I went and asked my colleague, who was more senior than I am, and he told me that was a termination of pregnancy list. Uh, so in UK, since the legalization of abortion in the 60s, late 60s, uh, that has, in all national hospital in the UK, there are these kind of surgical list. And when I saw that, I thought, this is not very good. This is clearly something that I feel that I shouldn't be doing. And, but at that particular point in time, I just feel that, okay, I am here to, to do a job. And also that I need to keep my bosses happy. And if I don't do it, who's going to do it? And I briefly, for a moment, think about, oh, okay, maybe just as you just talk, now talk about compartmentalization, having a work part of life and uh, a sacred part of life, and since my patient is not going to meet my church friends, maybe nobody is ever going to know. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't feel very good about it, and also that um, I, I guess I was angry with myself that I allow myself to be in that position, to that I didn't really research very carefully about what I have to do in work. Um, at the end, well, I pray about it, but it was it was a good result because I I met another colleague more senior than I am, and she's a very devout Christian, and she explained to me that, okay, you don't really have to do that, you need to find another doctor that does that, but you need to do his or her clinical duties in place of that person. So I was very relieved, but I, that was a moment in time that I, I didn't, I clearly stepped into an area, gray area, or maybe a black area even, and that I didn't think beforehand, didn't mm. find out beforehand. Right. So almost if you had talked about that maybe in your church beforehand with people, with other doctors, and they were able to give you a heads up, that would have been a good thing. Uh, that would have been very good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that, again, that's yeah, one of the reasons we're doing this series is because we feel like sometimes we don't talk about that very much in church. What does it mean to go out into your workplace and honor the Lord and what's happening there? Okay, so the hard question, one of the questions I wanted to share with you, it seems like after working in trauma unit and with doctors... Um, there is a big pull once you become a doctor that that just becomes your identity, at least in America. I don't know what it's like in the UK or in Hong Kong, but in America, it's just you, almost like you, that's just your identity, and that's just who you are. And sometimes I've known all my friends who went into medicine, um, they sometimes go through periods of being lost, and they get lost within their profession and the things that their profession can buy and all that. I mean, was that 
How did you deal with that in your life and that struggle and that things? Um, I think that I was already a Christian really helped me a great deal, but I certainly do see a lot of doctors uh, both in the UK and also in Hong Kong um, and also in America that I've briefly worked in before. Um, it is a profession that a lot of people see that defines them. I mean, they give them a different title. Some doctors even have like Dr. So-and-so on their credit card printed, on their passport. They'll be very um, fast to admit that they are a doctor and um, except when they are called upon to do some emergency things on an airplane or something. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a doctor here? Though? Yes, I, I did have a colleague that, that was on a plane and they asked for a doctor. And he, didn't, he said, that surely must be another doctor. And they make another announcement and nobody stand up. And they make a third announcement and suddenly five people stood up. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of like the totally opposite of lawyers, right? If you say, I need a lawyer... You have like 50 lawyers come to you because they, they expect some big payout. But yeah, it's different, right? Yes, very. Uh, so I think that a lot of people see that the medical profession defines them. I think that it is also very true that um, they see their patients at their most vulnerable. Like I mentioned earlier on, that the information is so one-sided. Uh, patients put a lot of trust in their doctor. And um, the doctor likes to quite a lot of doctors feel that they are doing something good for the patients. Sometimes they might mistake that they are instrument of God. Um, for They might think that they are God themselves. They might have a God-like complex. Um, they fail to, or they might have forgotten after a while that it is a privilege to be in that position, to be able to, to help and interact with patients in that kind of way. And you, one of the stories we, as we talked just in community group, you, you shared that you had the frustration of just sometimes not even being able to give people the best care. And some of that led to you yes. saying, maybe I need to leave this area, do something different, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I was working in the UK, and there was a national health service. So the, for the Americans out there, uh, this is uh, a country where you just walk into the hospital, have, it all, have all your illness treated, have all the operations that you need, and then you just walk out and you don't have to pay anything. But because of that, um, there's a huge funding issue and a lot of hospitals are hugely underfunded. There's not enough hospital beds, there's not enough medicine, there's not enough uh, everything. And I used to, when we have to see patients, we need to look at their address and see which um, health authority they comes in. And some health authority will fund the treatment and some health authority will not. So when you see a patient, you say, well, the best treatment that is available for your condition is this. But if you were to live on the street next to yourself, then you can have something better. And uh, that's not very good. Um, also, that we often have to lie about certain things, like our patient may be in a more serious condition than they really are, so that we can get uh, operating theater time, uh, OR time, sorry, <laughs> operating room. Um, and that kind of thing. So one shouldn't really have to lie about things in order to do the best for your customers or clients or patients or whatever. But that seems to be the case. So um, I did become quite disillusioned about it as well. Um, but of course, no, no job is perfect. I'm sure a lot of people face similar difficulties in their job as well. So now, what, 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 is, God, what, what is the work you're doing for the Lord right now in your life? Um, Shireen and I are very privileged. Um, we, we have, um, God has blessed us a lot and 
we also, during our time in London, when we were serving in our church, we encounter um, some missionaries that either they have um, come back from mission work or they're going to mission work or in between mission work. We also encounter children of, of missionaries when, when they were growing up, their parents suddenly become full-time working for the Lord. And quite a lot of them feel very, even like many years later, uh, feel that their lifestyle basically have to change. Their parents used to have a high-paying job and suddenly they have nothing. So go from they go from a living in a big place to a small place. Even the clothes they wear has to be different. Some people have to wear second-hand clothes. And th that is like their main childhood memory. And we feel very, Shireen and I feel very sad about that because we feel that just because your parents decided to, to serve God doesn't mean that you should have a bad memory about this. So we feel very moved by that. And since then, we've been trying as best as we can to um, finance uh, missionaries or finance mission work uh, in different countries. Um, we don't really have a, like a, a definite like donation every year, but whenever we, we can, we will try our very best to help. And we, God has led us down very, very good paths and we meet some amazing, incredible people that really is on fire for God and it is a privilege that we, we were able to help. Right. Uh, for someone sitting out here in there, maybe struggling or in their profession with some of those things that you struggle with and you still struggle with, what would be some of the advice you would give them or what would be some words of encouragement that you would share with them? Um, yeah, like I would tell my kids that uh, in life, there are often situations that you need to make a decision that you need to be doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And I think that one of the things that comes with that that I find that helps me is that you really have to spend time with God a lot in order to know what he thinks is the right thing so that God's preference becomes your preference. And then when you face another moral dilemma in work, then it will be much easier for you because you know that this is the right thing to do. And if God's preference is also your preference, then there'll be less difficulty achieving that. Right. Um, second thing that I would say is that I think serving God is important. Um, like the example that Eric gives and also that you mentioned just now, a lot of people feel that, okay, I am very busy right now. Maybe if I uh, am a, in a more stable condition, then I will go and serve God more. Maybe when I have met my this fiscal year's target, then next year I'm going to do this for God or um, when I have more money, then I can donate more, then I would say, um, based on my experience, based on our experience, um, although quite accidental, I think that it is actually a huge privilege to be able to serve God, even when you don't have time. Um, when, we were, when we were more junior, Shireen used to have long hours as well. She works till 11 most nights, and for me, like 100-hour weeks is the norm, and 120-hour week is not uncommon. Um, we we still um, help out um, in church, and we were teaching the teenagers back then. <laughs> uh, they, that, they, they, they do have children now. Um, they're still my Facebook friends. I'm quite happy to say, and also that I, I met I met one of them um, serving coffee in Ireland um, a couple of years ago. I was I was very pleased. 
that, that he's still in church, that no harm was done. <laughs> but in this kind of service, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you serve in. Um, it is always a, a blessing. I, we feel that it is a blessing. I mean, they ask difficult questions. They ask, like, oh, should we be dating non-Christians? Should we be... Uh, uh, what is the origin of the Bible? How do we know that it is trustworthy and all that kind of thing? We have to do the research for them. And I think that through that, we also feel blessed by it because it, it helps us to understand God better. Mm -hmm. And whenever you serve God, you see a living God at work and you know that he's not just um, a, a fictional figure that's described in the Bible. You begin to see the Bible a bit more like a blog or like a Facebook page of God that you, you get to know how, how he works. I mean, if I look at Millen's Facebook page, I know what he eats for dinner last night, right? <laughs> um, so I think it's a little bit like that, 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 you, that you find out more about God. And going back to my original point, which is um, uh, like the, Jesus observed the donation uh, in the temple, how the widows give actually more because she didn't really have. I would say that even if you don't have time, that you, you, you carve out the time to serve your God and get to know him better, I think that will help you along a lot in your, in your work life. Mm, okay, that's great. Can we pray for you guys? Father, we thank you for Ian and Shireen and the girls. Thank you that you've brought them on this journey and you're not finished with the journey. And thank you for the experiences and for the testimony. And I pray if there's anybody here that they have some of these same struggles that they would seek them out and seek others out to share and to help in the heads up and what's going on and to help us to meet you in community and help us, Lord, just to realize that the, our relationship with you is the most important thing. So we thank you for this dear, precious family that you'd watch over them and guard them. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. I'm going to... I have 10 minutes, but I have like 80 minutes of, of content, right? So it's, that's what always happens when you think and pray through these things because these, these topics are, are huge, and we're just kind of throwing it out there, and you can think about it. You can argue with me. We're going to do Q&A next week. We're going to have some questions and answers after the sermon, uh, and so we want you to talk about these things. But just a couple things in this passage that stick out, and what I want you to consider or think about as we go into it, and, and the first thing is this. The, the Bible says this, that your work, your business, your calling, and your ministry are all the same thing. You're not separating, I work here for this time, and then I do ministry here. The Bible says that all of these things are offering to the Lord. There's all a worship to the Lord. If I were to talk to you at your workplace or after your workplace and I would just say something like, um, tell me about your ministry. What's God doing in your workplace? If you're like me, when I was working, I would say things like, well, I'm trying to share my faith with this person and I'm trying to lead this person in a Bible study and I'm trying to do a prayer walk around the office place and I'm, I'm trying to listen to people who are hurting in the office place. I'm trying to pray for those people and encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And all of those things, I would say, this is, this is what I'm doing in my ministry. But I would never mention that I'm working in retail. I would never mention my ministry is, is sales and I'm doing these things. And, and the Bible says that that is your ministry. In fact, the things often that we think are our ministries, 
like sharing our faith and reading our Bible and praying and talking to people. Sometimes we do those things on our office hours, right? Facebook or other things like that. And the Bible would say that that's actually stealing from your employer. I had a friend when we were in college, and he got fired from his job because he was reading his Bible at work. And he was really proud that he got fired because he was reading his Bible at work. And we talked about that. I said, dude, what happened? He goes, well, I got fired. I said, why? He goes, I was being a Christian. I was reading my Bible at work. I talked to friends in the office, and they said, yeah, he's lazy. He wasn't working. He was stealing from the team. And the scripture says that your work and your business and your calling and your ministry, they're all the same thing. And that your first responsibility is to be the best doctor that you can be. To be the best lawyer that you can be. To be the best teacher that you can be. To be the best pastor that you can be. To work with excellence in whatever you do. To give it all out and to realize that God is the ultimate one that you're working for in your life. That he's the ultimate one. So that's your ministry. So what does that look like on Monday when you go into the office? What does it look like for you to walk into the office and say, okay, my ministry is to be the best lawyer that I can be in this place. My ministry is to take everything that God created in the field of medicine and start to shape it and mold it and use it to help and serve other people. My ministry is to take the banking situation that's happening right now and understand that there's amazing amount of chaos and thorns and thistles and weeds and they're in all over the creation. They're, they're everywhere. But my ministry as is, is a, is a person who walks with the Lord is to walk into the bank and say, okay, God, how should things be? How are things? What do you want me to do about it? That's what business is in the gospel. Does that make sense? Everybody's really quiet, and they're looking up here like I'm talking Spanish or Portuguese. <laughs> but I still think that I have a hard time getting my head around that, because for such a long time in the church, we've said, hey, you're going on a mission trip, and that's where you're going to do real ministry. Hey, you're going to support these missionaries, and that's where you're going to do it, because you can't do it. Hey, you're going to do these things at church. And so we lead these separated lives, and in these separated lives, sometimes we go crazy. But the passage says in the garden that everything is the same, that we all work together, that whether we're a banker or a teacher or a pastor, all of these things bring honor and glory to the Lord. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're listening to it and say, that's great for you, but my job is impossible. It's no redeeming value like that question that was asked. I need to just escape. Well, maybe you do. But Paul wrote a book to a church in Corinth with a lot of people who were trying to escape. They were new Christians. They were trying to, to, to fit in, and they realized it's just too hard. I, I need to do something else. I need to be something else. I need to go someplace else. And Paul's advice to them as Christians were, God has you right where you are. He has you for there for a purpose and for meaning, and that your ministry is to use your gifts and your talents to serve the culture, and the people around you. Don't leave. Don't give up. Don't think that there's better pastures or better ministry positions someplace else where the grass is always greener because the scripture says that that's not true. And where you are is where God wants you to be. And sometimes we have a hard time understanding that and seeing that because we're surrounded by thorns 
in thistles. In your bulletin, I wrote out, or we wrote out some thoughts here. Take it out and look at it really quickly as we close. We prayed about what does Scripture say about us as Christians as we walk and as we serve and as we do things in the place of thorns and thistles. God is glorified when we put our whole selves into our work with a view towards pleasing God, not men. We do our work excellently in the garden of thorns and thistles when we are honest, even when it hurts us or prevents us from getting ahead. We do our work well to God's glory when we honor our superiors and submit to their authority. God is glorified when we treat our work associates with kindness and respect. God is glorified when we expose fraud and dishonesty and unethical behavior. God is glorified when we approach our work prayerfully. God is glorified when we avoid complaining or grumbling, even in less than ideal situations. God is glorified when we refuse to make work and money our idols. It's one of the things I learned about work really quickly is if you want to know what your idol is, what that thing is that you cling to more than God, there's two things that will bring that out quicker than anything else. The first thing is marriage and children. And the second thing is work. God is glorified when we refuse to make work and money our idols. God is glorified when we plan diligently for the future. God is glorified when we live simply and give generously. God is glorified when we trust him to provide, to trust him to provide today what we need for today and tomorrow. God is glorified when we rest from our work. All of these things, Scripture said, this is what it means to be in full-time work for the Lord in our workplace. That ministry and calling and vocation are the same thing. One final thought. You're going to walk into work on Monday, and there are going to be people who are living in the thorns and the thistles and the briars, and they're going to be living and working and killing themselves for meaning and purpose in their life and work, for identity, who are they really, and why are they here, for significance, for success and recognition, for self-worth, for security, for finances, to gain face, to have a future, for validation, for redemption. And what I found mostly people work for is for hope in the workplace. And you're going to walk into your workplace and people, 95% of those people in Hong Kong are going to be living and working for those exact same things. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified on a cross with a crown of thorns, which I think is symbolic of this curse that was put on nature, crushed on his head. And on that cross, he died to give you all those things everybody in your office is looking for. Identity, significance, purpose, meaning, value, security. The Bible says that when Christ died, he took the curse and he gave us all of those things. And the question is, do you believe it? Will you live like that? Or will you choose to walk back into the briar bushes? 
trying to find those things that Christ has already given you. The amazing thing about walking with the Lord isn't that you're perfect, but you realize that God has given you everything that was lost in the garden with our father and mother. And because we have those things, now you and I have the freedom to walk forward and to serve people, to love people, to care for them, to do all those things we are afraid of doing and that they would never do. But we have that assurity of what Christ has done. My prayer for us as a church is that we'd understand the gospel more and more and we'd walk in freedom instead of bondage. Does that make sense? It always comes back to Christ. It always comes back to the cross. It always comes back to what we lost in the garden. He gave us back on Calvary. It always comes back to what we were looking for in the garden, significance and being our own God. He comes back and he gives those things to us again. And the question you and I have to ask is, are we going to accept that? Or are we just going to mow the yard over, thinking that if we do it quick enough, all the dandelions get picked up? Most of us know by experience that that's not going to happen. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this topic, which I think is just a topic we screaming at us to talk about over and over and over again. But it's a topic that is scary, it's fearful, and we wonder what people are going to think and how we're going to handle these things. But we know that as we're in relationship with you, as we walk with you, as we trust you, that you will make all things right. Lord, I realize that there are some people in here right now who are living in the briar bushes, that they are covered by thorns and thistles, and work has no meaning or purpose. And Lord, I pray for them. We pray that they would see your word, they would see your son, they would see that he's taking this curse that they feel every Monday, and he's given them freedom. And I pray that they would come to know that freedom through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are in here who, who've had that freedom, but we slip away from that freedom. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to show us mercy and grace and how the gospel changes us and renews us. Lord, help us to surrender, to repent of our wrongdoing. <laughs> we have to be repenting over and over and over because we just tend to run back into those thorns and thistles because we look for something you've already given us. So Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who never gives up on your people, that you're the God of second and third chances, and that this is a journey that we're on, and we're trusting you for this journey. So we come before you as a church as we walk out today, realizing that there are not just clergy and normal people, but that we are all ministers, that we all hold sacred jobs, and we're all called to point people to your son so they might have the freedom that we have. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your son, Jesus Christ. Holy name, amen.